Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Center for Christian Music Studies at Baylor University. This podcast was recorded at the 2010 Alleluia Conference. In this session entitled, Introduction to the Community and Music of Tizay, Trey Harper and John Lassiter discuss the history and context of the Tizay community and its worship. Also included in the session are helpful suggestions on incorporating the music of Tizay into American worship services. To learn more about the Alleluia Conference, visit us online at www.baylor.edu slash Alleluia. Um, and she was a widow, and these three sons were on the front lines of World War I in France. And she was forced to flee from her home in northern France and moved in with Brother Roger. And um, daily, she, as a Protestant, would go to a Catholic church and attend prayer. And she believed in her own mind that the Catholic Eucharist was the actual place for unity among all people, among Christians. And uh, Brother Roger states that this inside of her made a deep impression on me. My whole life has been marked by it. So he traces the roots all the way back to his, uh, from the influences of his grandmother. In 1936, though, he began uh, theological studies, and led a, at the end of those, he led a small Bible study uh, around faith and prayer. Out of that study, 20 students kind of, bonded together and formed what they call a, quote, intentional community, and with their main focus on reconciliation. And uh, he had, this kind of started consuming his time, so he withdrew from school. All he had left was a short master's thesis to write. He'd done all his coursework, but he withdrew and uh, focused on leading this community. Uh, France eventually fell to the Nazis in World War II, and so he left on his bike for the unoccupied Burgundy region. And uh, he was really looking for a piece of property to, uh, to begin a community. Uh, he stumbled upon the ancient Cluny Abbey, if you're familiar with that. And there he learned of a house for sale uh, in a small village of Tizay, which is, I think is about 15 or 20 miles away. So he rode out, inspected the property, met this poor woman, and she, uh, he shared her vision with her. And uh, they had a meal together, and after meeting with Brother Roger, she basically just begged him to stay, saying, we're all alone here. Help us out. And Brother Roger felt that he he believes that Christ speaks through the poor, and so he kind of saw that as a sign from God. And so he purchased the property, and then thus beginning uh, their ministry at Tizay. It was a small house. The house uh, quickly became a place of safety for uh, Jews, war refugees, and members of the resistance. And uh, during this time, uh, Roger wrote a pamphlet outlining his views on monastic life, and it started <laughs> circulating in Europe. And that really kind of helped uh, develop the Brotherhood. Uh, later on, during the war, he was in, the, he was in Switzerland, um, and uh, the house was raided by the Gestapo, and so he was not able to return back. But there he finished his theological studies and wrote his thesis on monastic life. Um, but while he was in Switzerland, that pamphlet was circulating, and three men, it caught the attention of three men, an agricultural student and two theologians, and they, uh, after dialoguing with one another, decided to form a small brotherhood. And uh, they stayed there until the war ended and then moved back to Zay. I want to point out that uh, Brother Roger ministered to Jewish refugees during the war, but after the war, he ministered to German war prisoners. Um, and uh, the community was pretty upset at them for doing that, but they felt uh, that this was a foundational understanding of the gospel, basically just love one another and let's uh, uh, foster an environment for reconciliation. The community continued to grow. Um, they, were pray they prayed daily three times, three times a day in their upper room. 
Uh, many visitors were coming. Many Roman Catholics were also coming. Uh, remember, this was a Protestant group. And the br brothers petitioned for a second time um, to use the small church. Uh, the first time they were denied. And this, they were this time granted by Angelo Giuseppe Ronacalli, who is the uh, future Pope John XXIII. And so they gained access to the church for prayers. But as the community continued to grow, they said provisional vows are not enough. They're not sufficient. Um, and so on Easter 1949, seven men took um, traditional monastic vows, a life of celibacy, a life of common good, and life under a prior. And uh, in taking these vows, they became the first Protestant community to ever take monastic vows. And uh, this commitment eventually led to what has been called a, a new type of monasticism. Uh, characterized by ecumenicism. And I also want to point out that brother, for Brother Roger, ecumenicism was not about tolerance, but it was about reconciliation. So uh, there's a difference there. He wrote a, a rule of faith um, and focused on the general ethos of the community. And uh, in this rule, rule there's a, a lot of room for personal freedom in its interpretation. But um, he defined their community as, and called their brothers to live as a parable. Focused on reconciliation. Um, as people kept coming, I mean, I, as I read, people started just flocking to Cizay. And uh, I really think that the Spirit had something to do with this. Because, I mean, people were just becoming, as you will see, they were just coming in droves. And so the community is really starting to grow and it's starting to become a practical reality, his dream. And But they were still having some efforts with Rome. Um, even though they could pray, uh, they. There were some tensions there, but Pope Pius died, and Angelo um, Giuseppe Ronacalli became Pope. So three days after his inauguration, the Brothers of Pizzay met with Pope John XXIII and um, basically to discuss ecumenicism in the church, and that they continue meeting with him every year, ever since. They were actually, um, uh, well, they uh, observed uh, the Second Vatican Council in 1962, and they still meet with... Uh, that will Pope John Paul II, I think there's Scipio, uh, came out in the 80s, and then they still meet with Pope Benedict. So uh, there's a good relationship there. Um, 1969, uh, a young Catholic doctor took monastic vows, and he was the first Catholic to join the community. Um, but people kept coming, um, specifically between the ages of 18 and 30. Um, and so the, the village church was just, I think there might be a picture of village church next. Um, uh, people kept coming, and uh, basically the church just couldn't you know, hold the amount of people. So a German organization seeking reconciliation after the war funded the new church, which is the church of, it's actually called Church of Reconciliation. It was built in 1962, and in less than a year it was built to capacity. Um, people were coming in droves, and so they began to hold summer youth gatherings. Um, but that really wasn't enough either. And so in 1970, uh, 42 different nations had been represented in Pizay, and people wanted to take these experiences back home. So the brothers began having intentional youth gatherings around the world. Um, that Easter, Brother Roger announced in front of 25,000 young people, or 2,500 young people, that Pizay would sponsor a Council of Youth. In the year leading up to that, 60,000 people would travel to the small little village in Pizay. That's a lot of people. Um, in the 80s, they continued to hold these gatherings. Also, the brothers began to leave the community and live among the poor in various nations, and they still do that. Um, when the Berlin Wall fell, uh, Eastern Orthodox 
Christians have started to travel to Vivek, and so the brothers erected some onion-shaped domes on the church uh, to show uh, in, in the, as a sign of reconciliation and ecumenicism. Uh, 2005, Brother Roger was killed. I think we had a picture of his grave back. Um, he was attacked and uh, by Brother Alios, who became prior of the community, uh, prayed for forgiveness for the attacker. So even in the midst of tragedy and death, they still seek to uh, today, there are over 100 brothers from 30 nations, uh, Catholic and Protestant, and uh, they try to live out Brother Roger's vision of a terrible community. Praise will talk a little bit about what a week in today might look like, and I think we might sing first. Uh, sure, let's sing. The Kingdom of God. said the community focuses on young people starting in the 70s and I was um, and thousands of young people Europeans mostly in a place where we say is often post-Christian we use that label but there's thousands of youth coming to sing these songs it's not uh, the most popular song and it's not free pizza but they're showing up so that tells us something perhaps about the spirit but also I was thinking in the car yesterday when the church at large has confused popularity and relevance, uh, today has held true to being relevant in spite of maybe not always being popular. Um, and I think that's a lesson we can learn uh, as we uh, travel along as church musicians uh, in this time. A week in today, well, you show up, they encourage you to show up on a Sunday afternoon because every week at today is Easter week. So you'll go through the process Friday is Good Friday, Saturday, and Sunday is Easter every Sunday. Um, you are paired up into Bible study groups, and I think we have a picture, oh, here, uh, and this is that's part a work group. of, uh, that's a work group, but similarly, um, in our group, we had, uh, Americans represented, uh, Indians, um, German, French, Italian, Italian and English is, yeah, they, they came in the larger group, uh, English, because we don't know anything else is uh, the language used there. Um, so they dumb it down for us. But uh, in our Bible studies, we're conversing uh, in English, and we're talking about commonalities. What do we have in common? Um, in our group, uh, the other English 
people were different denominations than we were, and we talked about what that meant. And uh, we were all proud of our own denomination, um, but you know, we found our common ground and you know, worked together. Um, and we, in discussing what we had in common, one person said, Jesus. And then a girl quickly responded, wait, <laughs> I don't know about that yet. I'm on a journey. And that's what we have in common is this journey. So a lot of intense conversation happens really quickly uh, as you become a part of these prayer services. You pray three times a day um, in the chapel here. And you're seated on the floor. This is all the space. This is a, that's the old chapel. Oh, there it is. Um, and everyone pretty much fits in there. And uh, he's going to describe more about the service. The hardest part for me uh, was the silence. <laughs> There's 10-minute intervals of silence. And if you're not used to that in your day, which many of us with our busy schedules and calendars don't find that time, uh, it's very awkward. But by the end of the week, it becomes part of who you are. Uh, so you pray three times a day. You have Bible study. And uh, you have a job there. You're put to work. I worked in the snack bar area. Uh, I think John worked on putting up a tent. And again, you're working with people a lot different than you are and having to work together. And, and it's the people who come to visit today that keep today running. You're serving the food. You're doing everything there in the life of the church. If you're over 30, the program is adjusted a little bit because it is geared toward younger people. Um, but you still, they still have something for you, Bible study, and you attend the services and that sort of thing. Uh, anything major that I'm leaving out? All right, um, so that's just your basic week. Are there any questions about that? It's only $30 a day to stay in today, and that's a donation that's optional. So why is today important? Uh, this community we've heard of, uh, but we know it because of its song. So um, that's what we're going to talk about now, and we're going to talk about it historically and also how it's evolved. Uh, because it's evolved out of a real liturgy, out of a real work of a community together, and to create something that fits their needs and maybe our needs as well. Yeah, that, that's that's what you when you first started looking at the history of the music and how it evolved, it really did. Uh, they had a specific music for their purposes, and then whenever that uh, didn't was not sufficient enough, well, they changed and they adapted to the new tune. Um, they deliberately drew from many sources for their uh, prayer service um, in an attempt to minister ecumenically. Specifically from the three main branches, uh, they, they emphasize the Word from the Protestant tradition, um, the Eucharist from the Catholic tradition, and then the presence of God and icons from the Orthodox tradition. And uh, on, on the Friday night uh, leading up to each week in Easter, they have a prayer service around the cross where they have the cross in the middle and then they bring it down and people can come up and you know pray around the cross. That's just an example. But I want to point out that there is no... Tazay theology and no Tazay spirituality. Um, it is just simply characterized by its ministry of reconciliation. So, um, they have the rule for the brothers, but that's, that's it. Um, let's briefly go through the history of uh, and the evolution of the music. For the first 20 years, it pretty much remained static. Uh, the brothers followed a regular daily and structured prayer um, that encompassed psalms, biblical readings, hymns, and prayers. Uh, French was the language, that's where they lived, so that's what they used. Um, but they used music from the Reformation. Um, they used songs and chorales from the French Huguenot and Lutheran traditions, and they also used the Genevan Psalter. 
Um, because of the strophic nature of the chorales, they were easily memorized. The psalms, not so much. So, uh, the first the need arose uh, to, to get something that could be easily meditated upon. And they found uh, an answer in the 50s from uh, Joseph uh, Gelenol, his psalms. He was a Jesuit priest and a French composer, and uh, much of his uh, music is still used today there. Uh, they also borrowed from. They also had some chants that they would use for, especially in the times of intercessory prayer, and they borrowed those from other traditions. And then they also had some composed specifically for them. Um, and they uh, contacted uh, Jacques Berthier, and uh, who com he compared. He began composing um, uh, chants for them, and his music is basically what's been become known as the music of Jose. Uh, the, early, the early liturgy followed a basic pattern. It would, they had an introductory hymn of praise, and they had a scripture reading, a response to the scripture reading, and a, a, a long silence. Um, then they had time for intercessory, uh, intercessory prayer, which would all be sung, the Eucharist, and then a closing hymn of praise. So the only things that were not sung would be scripture, silence, and the Eucharist. The rest of the service was in English. Through the 60s, this was just how, this is how it went. But in 1970, that's when the people really started showing up. They had to do some changes. First, they moved out of the village church into the Church of the Reconciliation. You can see the onion-shaped domes that they erected in the 80s. Also, people were coming that spoke a variety of languages. And so they had this problem of uh, singing in one voice uh, in a service. So they were looking uh, for means to communicate with everyone and have everyone actively participate in worship. Uh, the first thing they did is they got rid of French as the primary language. Uh, one way they did this, uh, they would provide the text um, for the chorales in four or five different languages and people would just sing it. Uh, Brother Robert uh, Roger states that although this was pastorally effective, the solution was just not, it was not what they were looking for. So in the psalm singing, they had a cantor would sing the, the psalm in a variety of languages and the congregation would hum underneath him. Then they would conclude in French and then sing an Alleluia. And then that's how they would do that. And that still can be, that's, some of that is still done today. Um, but that they still weren't satisfied. And so one, one way that they kind of experimented is they just asked people to bring songs from their own various traditions. And Brother Roger said that, uh, well, this was, this was good, but we got some pretty poor music. And uh, people, it was just... It, it worked, but it didn't work. But one song came out of this, one musical gem, and it was the Jubilate Deo, the Michael, it was the Praetorius Canon in the 17th century. And uh, it filled, they said the sounds just filled the church. Uh, it was mostly young people singing this, uh, like 18 to 30. And the good thing was that no one had a linguistic advantage. It was, it was in Latin and in Hebrew. And, uh, and it can be sung up to six, six parts. And so the brothers were just ecstatic when they found this. They got on the phone and uh, immediately phoned uh, Berthier and uh, they said, write me some canon. Uh, they suggested texts like the Magnificat and Berthier actually dictated some, uh, some canons over the phone and they used them that night. Um, they, were, they were very, very successful. But there was one drawback. I mean, you can only sing a canon so, you know, so much. There's only so much you can do with it. So he began looking for other ways and he found the ostinato was the second. So the canon and the ostinato would be the second type of music of Jose. And 
that's just basically just something is repeated over and over again in a mantra-like fashion. And uh, we'll sing an example of that in a minute, Min many song conspiracies. And basically the cantor will sing above the congregation. The congregation provides the harmony and the cantor kind of sings a solo and he'll sing it in a he will sing it in a variety of languages. Um, it'll also be oftentimes be prayers of intercessory or prayers of reconciliation. Um, there's litanies, which would be a curie, uh, or some others, and they are mainly used for intercessory <coughs> prayer. There's a written out, and then there's improvised. On the improvised, the cantor will sing above and do all kinds of stuff, and then he'll get to a five chord, a dominant, and that signals a return, and that's how they do that. And then finally, um, there's the Alleluia, or the Acclamation. That'd be the four types. And so the canon, ostinato, litany, and acclamation are uh, basically comprised in, in the, the music that's presented. Now we're going to sing some of those. The Jubilate Deo, many of us know this already. I used it as a warm-up in high school. so um, I use this, and I think John actually used it as well, uh, Easter Sunday this year. Uh, the choir processed in, stood in place, sang it together, and then did a... Um, in a canon fashion, and then John went into. I went up to up on the grave immediately following, <laughs> and I went to something else. Picture. I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> it, was uh, a, it was an experience. But it was it was <laughs> their first it was their first introduction <laughs> to Tazay. Yeah, we, did we say it was Tazay? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> to what? Tazay, Tazay. You get a lot of things. All right, so you be like to do. We'll sing it together, and then we'll break up one part here, one part here. And then four here. Okay? Let's sing it together. Oh. I didn't bring y'all in. Let's start over. Well, we'll just pick up right here. Let's start over. <laughs> row, row. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. The next example is the ostinato. Um, we will build this up. Also, can someone canter for me? It's written there for you. We'll just do the first and second of the canter. Can you do that, John? Yeah. No, I was talking to John. Oh. <laughs> you go for it. No, I don't want to sing it. <laughs> All right, but let's build up the Veni Sante Spiritus. We'll start uh, at the bass and soprano lines. Sing it twice before we add it. Uh, yeah, you'll sing it, repeat it, and then, and then we'll add the uh, alto. alto line and then the tenor line. The well, basement soprano. We'll just start that again. Here we go.
we're calling on the Holy Spirit, you have someone singing over it. You could use this on Pentecost and have someone singing over it in a variety of languages. And all of these come from this book, uh, published by GIA Publications. We'll pass this around. It also has instrumentation uh, for flute and guitar uh, and violin mostly, I believe. You can pass this around. And we will actually listen to an example um, because of the um, improvisatory nature of it, of a litany and an acclamation. And this comes from the Tazai community, this recording. And it's in your, in your book, the Curie, in your packet. Your pages over. Variety of languages represented there. And then the Alleluia is an example of acclamation. big identifiers in this, these songs uh, you may have noticed is repetition. Um, the idea is that the song never stops and it keeps going within us. Um, people who favor Tizay tend to favor one particular style in the dichotomy of styles, whereas people who favor the praise chorus tend to favor, uh, we have a problem here, and we tend to criticize repetition both ways. Uh, Get over it. <laughs> repetition has been a part of our uh, worship. We're, uh, repetition is a part of our daily lives. Hopefully, at some point this morning, you brushed your teeth. And you may not always like brushing your teeth, but it keeps them looking good and it's healthy. <laughs> well, and in uh, Revelation, I can't remember the chapter right now, but the creatures continue to sing. Right. Holy, holy, holy uh, is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is. They never cease to say that. Right. Um, so yes, even in our scripture, but then in our early liturgies, repetition, repetition, repetition. Um, the idea is that you repeat the text enough, it becomes part of who you are. And I hope uh, that as I repeat, the kingdom of God is justice and peace, that as I leave the, the worship space, that community, and Monday through Saturday, I'm living that out. 
because it's so ingrained within who I am and my DNA. Um, another big identifier uh, is the language. And John is going to speak on that a bit. Well, uh, the language of today, they had all these people coming from all over the world. And uh, what do they do in singing in one harmonious voice? I want to read something from Brother Roger from the parable, from the community. He identified the goal as they, um, as directed as communal prayer, he states, using few notes and words, the continuous flow of the refrain exp expresses something essential. It constantly penetrates further and further into the depths of a person. Early Christianity, it is true, the type of prayer comprised of a few words repeated over and over again as the name of Jesus was invoked to give peace and unity to the depths of one's being. But it is through singing for pastoral reasons and in a manner that we could have not foreseen at the beginning that we have rediscovered a similar path. What once meditated individual prayer is now experienced as a means of communion with others. With one harmonious voice, we can express our waiting for God at times in a contemplative ways and at other times as an offering of praise. So how do you express or how do people from all over the world praise in one harmonious voice? And the brothers have been very deliberate in being pastoral in their means to include everyone. And their first answer was to sing the text in Latin. Uh, they they. Latin provided uh, many, uh, many different advantages. First, it was no one's language. It was a dead language. Second, uh, it was denominationally neutral. Uh, after Vatican II, uh, Latin and the Catholic Church, really that association has kind of been lost. So um, denominationally neutral. And then thirdly, uh, I just like this one, they liked the language. So they just wanted to sing in Latin. Because well, why not use Greek or other dead languages? As the time passed, more and more texts were based on living languages. Um, and this is evident in the songbook, which we'll start passing around. This is the 2008 edition. It has 19 languages represented. In 1995, there were 13. This is what you get when you walk into a Tazay service, and uh, I think we'll show some pictures of that in a second. Uh, I just want to say, give you a couple uh, examples of the languages included. German, <laughs> Italian, Polish, Slovak, Spanish, English, <coughs> Korean, Indian, Japanese, Uh, but one thing I want to point out, these texts are not just literal translations of one another. Rather, they are altered to either fit the music or the language is altered. And I want to give you an example. Uh, look at uh, Jesus Le Cris in your uh, packet there. And I want to read a couple different uh, translations. For the English, it's going to say, Jesus Christ, the interior light, do not let any darkness speak to me. Jesus Christ, interior light, grant that I may welcome your love. But the German's going to translate a little differently into English. Christ, your light transforms our shadows. Do not permit the darkness to speak to us. Christ, your light shines upon the earth, and you say to us, you are also the light. Um, the Polish, it's an even different here. Jesus, you are the light of my soul. Let not my own darkness attract me anymore. 
Jesus, you are the light of my soul. Give me strength to welcome your love today. So in each translation, the subject's going to remain the same, but uh, the expression of the idea is going to be unique. And uh, this song, actually, this chant has a special uh, sentimental value to me. I can remember vividly singing this in the church, and I think I'll walk through and show you a little bit of the slide in the church. But I remember singing in English, and the person right next to me was singing in German, and I heard other languages around, and I even tried singing German. And I'm going to lift my Alabama accent. <laughs> But uh, it was very powerful singing together, but we were all singing um, in one harmonious voice, and it's really a modern-day Pentecost. But uh, this is just, if you grab a stack of the books floating around as you go into the service, and this is the sanctuary. Can you see that? Yeah, it's pretty dark space. <laughs> can, you, can you hit that light real quick, maybe? No, that won't help. There it is. Oh. It's that Easter there is. There's the cross Amazing. that they pray. They'll take this cross down and pray around it in the middle. Those candles. Those, yeah. Yeah. Those candles. Um, One question that was raised in the last session is what happens at the Eucharist, Lord's Supper, Communion time? Um, and within their space, they have three options depending on your association and, and the meaning that it does for you. The brothers will take the, the Eucharist, but for everyone else. There's uh, blessed bread and cup. There is you can receive a blessing and take unblessed bread and cup. Or if you're Orthodox, just take the bread, depending on your practices. I just want to point this out. As you can see it, this is the instrument of choice at the bay. It's a little bitty Yamaha Walmart keyboard. And it plays classical guitar. They play but they did install guitar. an organ last year. Yeah, this is the old electronic. They were testing it out the week I was there. And that's an organ when I was there. You can, and that will lead right in the tray. You can use, uh, or how to use it in our church. You can use yeah. Variety. But let's take a sing at Eat This Bread. It's on the next page. This has a very practical use. John will play through it once and then we'll sing along. Oh, do you want to sing? piano player and organist are usually scrambling to extend the music anyways, so why not have your congregation singing this while uh, the elements are being uh, passed around or you're going to them, however. In uh, the Lutheran service book, it's in there, and there are verses. Right, yes, and it's showing up in, in many denominational hymns, this particular uh, hymnals, this particular song. So a today's service, which John sort of described, uh, or described earlier, uh, wouldn't work where I was uh, recently serving. I mean, it just wasn't 
the voice of these people. But I felt like today had a place in the worship I was planning and leading. Um, how, does anyone actually have a today service here? Uh, if, if you do, and if your desire is to start one, uh, I was talking with one of the brothers, and they said the desire is that it be continually ecumenical. So maybe it's at your church one weekend, and then the next month it's at the, another denomination, another, and you're sharing this, and it becomes a new a community, a bigger community, and you share this in common. Um, it will force us to get out of our uh, offices and our little sanctuaries um, and truly be um, brother and sister to one another. Um, a practical way that I was sort of forced to use to say is I served a church that was partly Hispanic and partly Anglo. And I had some options, and one was to sing translated hymns, uh, and they have them, and they love them uh, in Spanish and in English. But if I put up a Spanish gospel hymn, and uh, the Anglo people didn't know Spanish, they might not like that so much. Though we did do it. Uh, um, that wasn't probably the initial way I wanted to do that. So I decided to use Tizay. They didn't know Tizay, so it's a new for everyone. And you can sing it simultaneously. So everybody's getting an opportunity to join in in the song there. So that's a very practical way to use it. Um, obviously using individual songs in worship, Eat This Bread, uh, showing up at communion. Um, another way to use it is surround it with spoken responses. Um, in the Lord I'll be ever thankful. Dear Lord, today I thank you for the, the, the spoken. In the Lord I'll be ever thankful. Maybe have your uh, congregation members as they enter write something they're thankful for and uh, you have readers read those in the midst of it and bring it back around and that sort of thing. Um, interesting, instrumental opportunities here uh, are pretty expansive. Um, I've used accordion. So find that weird uh, instrument that you have that's not played in your normal Sunday service and bring it out. Uh, recorders, you know, a lot of people remember uh, studying recorder, get them to blow the dust off of it and go for it. Uh, accordion banjo, um, so that's a, a creative possibility and it includes someone in your music ministry that might be left out otherwise. Um, we are going to do something that we didn't do in the last session and one way to do this is write your own. And um, Miss jo uh, Jackson here has written her own uh, uh, song in the vein of today and we're going to sing it. Do you have enough copies for everyone or at least to share? And you have one. Would you like to play it? Uh, sure, I'll play through a couple of times. It's really I'd love to hear it acapella. My choir is not excellent singing it. And it says uh, 60 for the tempo. We actually slowed it down.
<laughs> Very nice. And that was written for uh, you, a purpose. Right? Uh, yes, my husband was preaching a sermon on the, a sermon on the Emmaus passage, and he wanted, he was focusing on that uh, scripture that's at the top, and they told what things were done on the way, and how he, he was known to make an impression on the world. So, write your own. The, the use of today is pretty limitless, um, and if y'all have any creative uses of it, I would like to know. Um, are there any questions? Yeah, a variety. And you'll notice in the middle of it, it'll start to drag. I mean, it'll slow down. And I mean, it just kind of goes with the group there. Um, yeah, it's not all. You get into that mantra. Right. <laughs> in fact, the last prayer service at today, it, it literally does not end, and people will sit through the night singing today's song. Um, and the number pops up on the little thing. Yeah, the little screen. <laughs> and you get a little pushback, I'm going to use Michael Hahn's advice. Use the word prayer instead of song. No one's going to criticize a prayer, hopefully. <laughs> and that might work in, in, in the rest of your music ministry as well. But these are indeed, you know, they say the prayer service and it's all sung. Um, so words matter. I think if you did a, an entire Tizay, uh moment, uh, that it wouldn't matter. Um, I think there's some sacrifice sitting on the floor. <laughs> uh, it's not comfortable, and I think that causes somewhere different than sitting in a pew. Um, usually it's candlelit uh, atmosphere. They do use icons, but you can do whatever you want to with that, uh, depending on your understanding of that. Um, I have found, you know, the... Um, um, Rubenstein uh, icon to be pretty effective as I look at it, and, and many of y'all are probably familiar with it. Is that the right name, Rubenstein? Is that the right name? Uh, it's the Trinity at the table, and the table's empty on one end. It's pretty famous, and it kind of invites you in. Uh, but maybe you have artwork from your own community you can use uh, just to fill the space with art. Um, but if you're going to use it in a service, I don't think. Right. Song. Just use a song and get creative with it. Yeah. Use your imagination. Like scripture reading, you can use scripture in the middle of it. And I tend to like to push the repetition a little, probably too far. 
uh, just to kind of. I, I think the intercessory prayers would be nice too. I mean, you could have really pray specifically for your congregation if you have a good singer who likes to, you know, maybe improvise, and make sure they get to that. Or specific needs in the, globally. Um, that happens. Oh, okay, okay. Any other questions? Well, we're going to conclude with the singing of the Ubi Caritas Deu EBS. Let's stand and sing. Thank you again for listening to this podcast. To learn more about the Alleluia Conference, visit us online at www.baylor.edu slash alleluia.